please stand for the scripture reading? Scripture today is John 11, 17 through 44. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone. But Lord, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the storm. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This morning, we get to continue on in our adventure series through the Gospel of John, uh, looking at uh, John chapter 11. And we're really in the deep waters here of life and the need for hope, uh, the need for God to intervene and show up in our lives in a desperate family situation that is exhibited here, which I believe we can connect with in the midst of our own desperation and difficulties. This morning we're looking at John uh, chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 17 and invite you to find John 11 in your Bibles, in the chairs in front of you, and or follow on the screen. John 11 verses 17 to 44. 
On his arrival at the tomb, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she sent back and called for her sister, Mary. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could he not have opened the eye? Could he not, he who opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for, there, for it has been four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. What I see in this passage and the entry point of the sermon and the open, as you note in the insert in the bulletin, is this. It's our need to be moved by Jesus. Moved out of what I will call our if-onlys. If only exists when we think about the desire, if only we had had more time. If only I had said the right thing to the, in that situation where there was conflict or difficulty. If only I had known what they were going through, I would have done this. But if we get into our if-onlys, we can get stuck there, can't we? And we play the tape of if-onlys in our minds and sometimes in our hearts, wrestling with wishing things were different, wishing we had done things differently. 
But if we're going to live life to the full, we need to move, be moved out of those if-onlys to a place where we can say, if Jesus. And here, there was a need to miss out, to move out of the if-onlys and the greatest if-only that exists, and that is related to death. The reality of death is what hampers us and worries us. We, see our, we feel our own bodies declining. We experience the loss of a loved one, a family member, or a friend, and often those evoke those if-onlys. And for the sisters, there was a really big if-only. If only, Jesus, you had been here, then our brother would not have died. You could have done something about this. We've seen you move. We've seen you heal. And we believe in your power to heal and to, to have done something about this situation. If only Jesus had been there on time. But Jesus wants to move them out of those if-onlys and to place their faith and trust in him. That if Jesus is who he says he is, and if Jesus can do what he says he can do, then the possibilities of faith open up and the hope that we can have for all eternity can instill our hearts with courage and strength. In the passage, as we enter into it, we find that Jesus, the one who is full of life, and Pastor Greg talked about John 10.10, you know, that, that Jesus it comes to give us life and life to the full. That Jesus is on the move in the lives of those he's interacting with. But those stung by worry and fear related to sickness and then death are, are caught up in its hold. Two women. Women who Jesus has gotten to know as he's connected with this family. Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. He stayed with them at different times. And we're told by John that Mary was the one who will anoint his feet with oil and, and wipe his feet with her hair to prepare him for his, bath, I mean, his death. This was a family who they were, connect, they were deeply connected. And this was a family that was deeply devoted to Jesus. And so they're a family that cries out to Jesus for help. And the first move of Jesus is that we see Jesus is deeply moved by his love. The sisters send a group of people to connect with Jesus. And they, they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. Note here the word love. When, they, when the emissaries of Martha and Mary go to Jesus at Bethia and, and say, one you love is sick, the word love there is, is phileo. It's our, our word for brotherly love. Think the Philadelphia Eagles this afternoon playing in the Super Bowl, the city of brotherly love. They're saying, one who you have a, a brotherly connection with is sick and we need your help. But as the passage continues, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And the word love there is agapeo. It's unconditional love and favor. It's not just that Jesus loved Lazarus while he was on earth and before his sickness or in his sickness. It's that Jesus' love, unconditional love, is going to wrap Lazarus up and ultimately lead him out from the tomb. Jesus has a greater love. And he is moved by unconditional love to go and to help and to be present in the midst of this family's difficulty and tragedy. Jesus moves at the impulse of love. But what we also see is he doesn't do that on our timing. Note that it says that Jesus stayed there in Berea two more days before he left. 
Jesus could have been, quote unquote, on time to be there ahead of time and to have healed Lazarus of his sickness. But for whatever reason, and we'll uncover that reason, Jesus waits and then goes on his time. Friends, some of us have been stuck in our if-onlys because there was a point in time in our life, and maybe we're in it right now, where Jesus did not move on our time frame. And because he didn't move on our time frame, we question God's love for us. Jesus, you didn't show up and heal this person. They, they passed away. Or, or, Jesus, I really need help in this situation. If only you would do this, then I would trust you. But Jesus invites us into a, a greater trust and to understand the depths of his love that isn't just about the present moment and the present crisis we're in, but is about eternity and his desire to have us with him for eternity and have that reality speak into the here and the now. Jesus loves them with an unconditional love and favor, and yet in the mystery of God's love, he waits before he moves forward. But note that Jesus has a particularity of love here. John, the gospel writer, will say in his gospel that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He doesn't refer to himself as John. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And in this text, we find that this is a family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, whom Jesus loved. And we can hear that and initially almost be offended by it. Wait. If he loved John, the apostle, if he was a disciple whom Jesus loved, what about the others? If he loved this family, what about other families? But God is a God of particularity. And he's a God who loves us uniquely. He loved this family uniquely. That doesn't mean that he doesn't love other people and other families uniquely. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He loves this world and Jesus dies for this world so that each and every one of us could know and experience the particularity of God's love. How many middle children do we have in the room? You grew up as a middle uh, child of a group of of kids. All right, I'm the middle of three. Daryl's my younger brother. Our older brother, Rob, lives in San Jose. When you're the middle child, you are wanting to know the particularity of the love of your parents, that you stand out, that you've been loved uniquely, and, and the, that the firstborn or the youngestborn you know, aren't, aren't loved in some greater or different way, but, but you're all loved especially. And I can say that my parents did a wonderful job of that. But some of us have wounds because we're not sure how God loves us uniquely. We've seen how God loves other people, but we wonder. Because God didn't work in the timing we had hoped in one particular instance or in our family of origin in certain ways. But what we see in this passage is that Jesus moves in love to, to ultimately overcome the power of death. And that he wants to do that for each one of us. And if he moves at the impulse of love, then we are called to move at the impulse of love and to be moved by him, to love other people even when it's hard or difficult, even when the timing is inconvenient, because that's what Jesus does. Second point, Jesus is deeply moved by his mission. Notice that Jesus is not going to move on other people's timing, and everybody had timing for him. The crowds say, hey, this is time to stay here and heal. 
the disciples, this is not the time to go up to Jerusalem. That is a stupid move on your part. His family said, you're crazy. Why are you in this house and healing people? Come out and do something different. Everybody had a plan for Jesus' life and ministry and believed they had the best way to do it. No one's ever had a plan for your life, right? No one's ever told you how you should lead your life and how you should be living, right? They just allowed you to decide all the time. No. The amazing thing here is while people are tempting Jesus to move in different ways, he is moved only and ultimately by his mission. And his mission is to overcome the power of death not just deal with this one situation. Friends, most of the time we interact with God and and basically what we're praying for is band-aids. We have a present problem and we want a present solution from God to rescue us from that present crisis. And sometimes he does by God's grace and mercy. But other times, he allows us to experience the depth of difficulty, loss, pain, and hardship because he wants us to know that he can address our hurts and our hardships at an even deeper level, not just meet the immediate need. Jesus moves at the impulse of the Father's love. He is on mission to ultimately defeat our greatest enemy, and our greatest enemy is death itself. And the passage invites us to walk in the light versus walking in the night. And what that basically means is to be light bearers and to reflect Christ's light wherever we go and to shine light on him. And for Jesus, that meant going back into a very dangerous place for him. To go to Bethany and address this one situation was to fast forward his mission to ultimately die on the cross for our sins. Because Bethany was only a few short miles from Jerusalem. And the last time, as we recall, Jesus was in Jerusalem. They were already ready to kill him. So Jesus was, in the famous language of Kenny Loggins that we heard once again during Top Gun riding into the danger zone. He's going to a place that is not safe, and the disciples know it. And Thomas, who's most usually known for his doubting, says, let us go with him that we might die also. Thomas, let us go that we might die with him. Thomas is saying, okay, his mission is moving forward, and we're called to go with him, to shine light on him and to be present with him. Friends, we get moved by God into places of mission at the impulse of his love, but also to be with God in the spaces and places that he's called us to. And often those spaces and places are not comfortable. Often those spaces and places are, are, are a great challenge. And, it, and, it's, and it's difficult to move forward with Jesus in those places. But what we're told in the passage is when we do so, the work of God becomes seen in our lives. And Jesus had a plan and purpose to carry out God's mission to ultimately defeat death, but also so that the work of God could be seen in each of our lives. And again, we have ideas for Jesus on how the work of God should be seen in our lives. By blessing us with gifts and goods, with, with, with comfort and safety. And sometimes Jesus is saying, no, the blessing and the work of God is going to be seen in your life through hardship. And Jesus embodies this in his sacrifice for us. The work of God is seen through Jesus in the depths of his love that he would be willing to go to a cross for us. 
And the work of God might be seen in your life in its depths by how you respond to the hurts and hardships of life. One of my models for this in life is Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, she, uh, is a, uh, as a woman, as a teenager, late teens, uh, did one of those diving things, dove into uh, you know, water that she thought had greater depth and, and hit a rock, and she became a paraplegic. But Johnny Erickson Tata turned that into an aspect, a central aspect of her witness. And she would say in one place, I do not care if I'm confined to this wheelchair. Provided from it, I can bring glory to God. Friends, I don't think I would be able to say that. I would say, God, why am I in this wheelchair? Why did you allow this to happen? If only I'd seen how deep the water was, I wouldn't have become paralyzed. And if now, even now, you could heal me, you could free me from this wheelchair. But for Johnny Erickson Tata, God has decided that he's going to be most glorified and his work is going to be seen more fully in her life through that circumstance. One of my favorite missionaries of all time is Hudson Taylor. He started China Inland Mission. And Hudson Taylor was able to say, trials afford God a platform for his working in our lives. Without them, I would never know how kind, how powerful, how loving he is. Trials allow God a platform for working in our lives. In other words, if we didn't have the difficulties we go through, if I hadn't gone through the loss that I've been through or the difficulties and challenges I've gone through, I would not know the depth of God's redemptive love. I would only think that I need a little bit of help and God gave me a little bit of help. But what this story illustrates is we have a depth of need and only Jesus can meet the depth of that need. And sometimes we become deeper in love with Jesus in times of delay. And friends, I have many times where I want God to work on a certain time frame, and for whatever reason, he delays. I believe he's still at work in my life. I believe he's on the move, but he's certainly not moving as quickly as I want him to. And I'm like, come on, Jesus, can't we hurry up a little bit? And what happens in those times? I turn to him more fully. I get down on my knees because I'm that broken and desperate to actually get down on my knees and say, Lord, unless you show up, this is not going to work. And sometimes God delays, and, and, and in that delay, we experience what St. John of the Cross called a dark night of the soul. But that dark night of the soul causes us to seek Jesus more deeply and differently. And we realize how fully his love has had a hold on us. Jesus could have gone and could have healed Lazarus when he was sick. But Jesus had something more deeply to accomplish in his mission in this moment. And sometimes where you're crying out for Jesus to work in a certain way in your life, Jesus has a deeper work he wants to do in your life. A deeper level of healing. A deeper level of trust that he wants to bring you. I said that Levi and I are reading the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy right now at night, and I was reminded just again the other night that Gandalf the wizard tells them, Gandalf, he says, I am, never, I am never early and I am never late. A wizard pr- arrives precisely when he means to. And here, Jesus decides to move and intervene precisely when he means to. Notice that Mar- Martha is initially disappointed If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. 
But then Jesus, in his mission, invites her to a deeper level of faith to lay down her if-thens and if-onlys and come to a place of faith and trust that if Jesus is present and if he is at work, then we can trust him. And the third point here is Jesus is deeply moved by his power over death. Jesus didn't want to just heal Lazarus. He didn't want to just intervene and meet the moment. He wanted to actually point to the fact that he was going to overcome the power of death. And Jesus is deeply moved by his power over death. Death is our greatest enemy, that thing that uh, none of us can get around. We are all going to die one day. We've experienced the hurts and hardships of the death of loved ones. But in this instance, Jesus is present in such a way that he's countering the power of death and ultimately pointing to his reality to overcome death. He doesn't just show up and heal. And he doesn't just uh, bring a, a resurrection in the future, but he brings resurrection in the here and now where they most needed it. And it points to the reality that Jesus describes in 25 and 26. And I printed these in your, in your handout because I'd love for you to memorize John 11, 25 to 26. Where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, will never die. Anyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And it's not that... We aren't going to die. One day we will. But Jesus is saying that death won't have the last word. Death is ultimately not going to stick. Because he is the resurrection and the life, the culmination of our life is not the grave. It's eternal life with him. And if we know and trust that that is what awaits us, then we can live differently in the here and now. We can live without fear and anxiety about death because it doesn't have the last word. And we can move from those if-onlys to a place where we say, if Jesus. If Jesus is who she is coming to believe he is, as the Son of God and the Messiah, the one who was sent to culminate God's work, if, if Jesus is God's one's own Son, and in him, all those living in God will experience this new future. If he is a resurrection and the life, life come to life, then he has the power over death. And he can speak into the reality of death and ultimately transform it in his victory. That we can know and trust that all those who place their faith and trust in Jesus will be people that one day we see again. And we can live differently and live with hope. Fourth point, Jesus is deeply moved by his desire to nurture belief. Notice that in Martha and Mary sending this group to Jesus, they they first say, Jesus, one you love has, is sick, you should come. And, and there's belief. There's belief that Jesus could heal him in that moment. But then notice when Jesus comes and he says, you know, Lazarus is asleep and I'm going to raise him from the dead. Martha has moved to a greater place of faith and trust. She says, I know that in the future he'll experience the resurrection of the dead sometime off. But Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm the resurrection and the life here and now. Jesus was going to raise Lazarus that day. And all of this is for the purpose to evoke greater faith and trust and belief in him. If you have an if only in your heart or mind right now, my invitation and encouragement to you is to put yourself in Martha's shoes. 
run off to meet Jesus. Wildly turn to him in utter abandon. Tell him the problem. Ask him why he didn't come sooner. Why he allowed that awful thing to happen. And find that Jesus will meet your problems with some new part of God's future that can and will burst into your present time, into the mess and grief with good news, with hope, and with new possibilities. And the key to all this is faith and belief. That Jesus can work more greatly and more fully than you can possibly imagine. And that he is on the move. And when he is on the move, you can move with him into greater places of faith and trust. That's why Jesus didn't move initially, moves now. And the way he moves in a greater way than she expected. Because he wants to encourage and nurture Martha and Mary's faith. And the faith of all those gathered there around the tomb in their grief. And guess what? This is central to John's whole plan and design for his gospel. In John 20, verses 30 to 31, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's goal in his gospel is for you to come to the same place of affirmation of faith and belief as Martha and Mary do. And he wants, you to, wants to move you from just hoping that he'll meet your present need and even hoping that he'll meet your need in the future, in eternity, to know that because he is the resurrection and the life, like C.S. Lewis talks about in the Narnia Chronicles, death itself works its way backwards And that we can have more full life now. We're not fearing death. But we're living in the present moment. In faith and trust in Jesus. Who's on the move. Didn't I tell you Jesus says. That if you believed. You would see the glory of God. You're going to see greater things. If you put your faith and trust in him. And you're going to see your faith nurtured. And increased in spite of. And in the midst of a variety of. Of circumstances. Jesus loves you and he wants you to move with his love. He's on mission and he wants you to be on mission with him. He has the power over death and he wants you to trust him. And he wants you to to bring you to a greater place of faith and trust in him and his ability. But lastly, fifth is this. Jesus is moved by his grief over loss. When it says that Jesus is deeply moved in verse 39, I think it's in or 33, and I think it's again in 39, that word for deeply moved is, is he, he's angry. He has this indignation. What is he angry about? He's angry about death and its power on human life. And he's angry that because of the fall of humankind, death became a reality. And he's angry about that, and he's working against that. And he's grieved deeply by it. And he wants to move against it. When he's deeply moved, there's that anger. And friends, if you've been angry about the death of a loved one, family, or friend, guess what? Jesus is with you in that. He was angry about Lazarus' death. He was angry about the power of death on humanity. And he went to work against it to ultimately defeat it. And we get the shortest, but most probably the most powerful verse in all of Scripture. Two words. Jesus wept. And so if somebody told you that your grief wasn't appropriate, if somebody told you that your tears, 
you know, or something that they did not want to see, know that that could be a lie of the enemy, and that could actually be impeding your grief and growth process. Jesus wept. Jesus was angry about death. He was sad, and he's with you in the hurts and the hardships that you're going through right now, and he wants to comfort you in his great love. He loves you in the midst of what you're going through. Pastor Greg and I, in our ordination process, both had to say how we responded to the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I I love the Westminster Confession of Faith. I agree to it and subscribe to it uh, wholeheartedly and almost without reservation. My one reservation is the Westminster Confession of Faith says that God is without passion. And what they meant by that is that God doesn't just lose it. God is not like me when my kids are driving me nuts and I blow up. God isn't controlled or ruled by his emotions. God God has it, quote unquote, in check. But at the same time, God is tremendously passionate. He's passionate about you. He's overflowing in his love for you. He gets angry at those things that, especially death, which negatively impact you. He weeps with you, and he mourns with you, and he loves you. God is the most passionate being that ever existed in time, and he came to show you that through Jesus. And Jesus walking up to that grave and saying, remove that stone. And the way it's described, friends, sounds an awful, like, awful lot like the tomb of Jesus, that he's going to be in himself soon. And he walks up to a similar type of tomb and says, roll away that stone, because death is not going to have the last word today. And we're told that the dead man, Lazarus, came out, wrapped up in his clothes. (laughs) The visual of that, almost like a, you know, this walking, you know, uh, person. I I think of Egypt and a mummy and, you know, walking forward in this. And he says, take off the grave clothes. Because he doesn't need them anymore. And friends, one of our songs speak to that. But sometimes the if-onlys are kind of like grave clothes that we're still allowing to wrap around us. We're stuck in, in, a, in a dead belief or a, a, a failed you know, thought process that because God didn't show up in the way I expected at a certain time, that God doesn't love me like he loves other people. And yet when Jesus goes against death and defeats death in this case with Lazarus, he's saying ultimately he's with each one of us to bring us comfort and hope and ultimately healing. Perhaps Augustine said it best. Jesus called out Lazarus by name because if he hadn't, all the dead would have come out of their tombs that day. But because he said Lazarus, that one man came out. But because he said Lazarus and brought him out of the tomb, you can know and trust that he is with you today. This afternoon, friends, while you're watching the Super Bowl, look for two ads. Uh, it's one ad. It's a type of ad that'll run twice. It's an ad that is called He Gets Us, and it's simply to display that Jesus gets us, like he gets the, neg- the power of death and its impact on us. Uh, one of the ads will describe he gets us because Jesus was a refugee. Um, and, and, and in these two ads that have been purposely placed on Super Bowl Sunday, with the support of big-time donors, because I don't even remember how much it costs to run a commercial during the Super Bowl, but it's exorbitant, okay? They wanted to do that to place the hope of Jesus in the midst of Super Bowl. 
And they wanted to place it there because of the faith and trust and belief that Jesus moves and that he gets us. And he understands us because he took on flesh and because he went to work against death itself. And we're one of those churches that has signed up on that. And and if somebody in our area wants more information about Jesus, wants to learn, wants to connect with the church, we might be one of the churches that they send those folks to. So we can pray about those ads this afternoon. But more fully, we can live in hope today that Jesus gets us. In the language of Isaiah 53.3, he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Jesus wept and he said, Lazarus, come out. And we can be deeply moved by Jesus for three things when we are filled with his love for others. And if you're feeling like you've run out of love for others, pray. Pray that God fills you with his love once again to move you from a brotherly love to an unconditional love and favor. Ask that God would move in you to increase your love for other people. Secondly, we are, can deep, be deeply moved by Jesus when we are with him on mission. I was reminded of this as I preached last week in San Ramon. Jesus gives the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize, teach. But he also says, for surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. And when we go out across the street and we connect with our neighbors, when we're connecting at our kids' schools, we're connecting with our other neighbors and friends and coworkers, guess what? We are joining him on mission with him to work against the power and influence of death on people and on our society. Lastly, we can be deeply moved by Jesus when we trust in his power over death, unbelief, and grief. Death doesn't have the last word, friends. Jesus does. And his word is life. And we can place our faith and trust in him in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of times of great difficulty and trust that Jesus is on the move and that we can courageously put one foot in front of another and move with him. Amen. In the dark and all alone Growing comfortable Are you too scared to move And walk out of this tomb Buried underneath The lies that you believe Safe and sound Stuck in the ground Too lost to be found You're just asleep And it's time to leave Come on and rise up Take a breath, you're alive now. Can't you hear the voice of Jesus calling us? Out from the grave like Lazarus, you're brand new. The power of death couldn't hold you. Can't you hear the voice of Jesus calling us? Out from the grave like Lazarus. When he said your name, the thing that filled your veins was more than blood, it's the kind of love that washes sin away. Now the door is open wide, and the storm's been rolled aside. The old is gone, the light has come, so come on and rise up. Take a breath, you're alive now. Can't you hear the from the grave like Lazarus, you're brand new. 
He's given us new resurrected hearts He's calling us to walk out of the dark He's given us new resurrected hearts 